turn to the book of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians. I've got a box of surprises over here. Don't worry, I'm not doing any magic tricks, though. I tried to do that once as a way of illustration, and it failed miserably. It's the last time I ever tried to do magic in a church. That's a true story, by the way. That's not a joke. <laughs> it was pretty miserable. So, title of this message is Earth and Vessels. <clears throat> when we do get to the reading of God's word, we'll be reading 2 Corinthians chapter 4, <clears throat> verses 6 through 10. As a child growing up, I had this cup that I really enjoyed using. It was a cup that was unique. None, none other in the cabinet looked like this one. It, it, there's nothing special about it. it, it it's rather plain. It's not some ornate vessel. It's just a cup. But it was unique. It was the only one that looked like it did. And, and I hung on to it for all those years. It was special to me. <clears throat> well, a friend was over to the house <clears throat> years ago. And, and their son wanted to have some hot chocolate. And they wanted to use this cup. Now, she, now she knew how special it was to me, but I was like, no, no, no. It was special to me as a child. He'll be fine. Well, as kids do, it slipped out of his hands. And it broke. And I looked at it there on the floor in pieces. And I kind of thought, well, I, it was nice while it lasted. I picked up the pieces and gathered them into my hands. And kind of represents how life goes sometimes. And I opened up the trash and I threw it away. I didn't know this, but my friend pulled it back out of the trash. She knew of this repair technique that is used in, it has its origin in Japan called kintsugi or kintsukuri. And I'm probably pronouncing that poorly, but I'll do the best I can. In any case, she pulled it out of the trash. And, and let me read to you about what this technique is. And then I'll talk about this cup a little bit more. Poetically translated, uh, kintsugi or kintsukuri uh, translates to golden joinery. It's a centuries-old Japanese art of fixing broken pottery. You see, rather than rejoin the ceramic pieces with a camouflaged adhesive, Kintsugi technique employs a special tree sap lacquer that's dusted and powdered with gold, silver, or platinum. Once completed, beautiful seams of gold glint in the conspicuous cracks of the ceramic wares, giving them a one-of-a-kind appearance to each repaired piece. You see, this unique method celebrates each artifact's unique history and emphasizes its fractures and breaks instead of hiding or disguising them. In fact, Kintsugi often makes the repaired piece even more beautiful than the original, revitalizing it, giving it a new look or a second life. And so she pulled this out of the trash and she began to repair it 
and you can see these golden seams now on my once broken cup. It is more beautiful for having been broken. I want you to keep that in mind <clears throat> as you stand with me and we'll read verses 6 through 10 of 2 Corinthians 4. Verses 6 through 10. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I ask now that you would set me aside, that these words would be your words, Lord, that it would speak to the hearers today, that it would encourage and strengthen them. I pray, Father, that this message would be your message to hungry souls, and I do pray that if there's anyone amongst us who has not yet trusted alone in you to save them from their sin, that today would be the day of their salvation. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. <coughs> what is it about earthen vessels? I mean, that's, an earthen vessel is, is basically speaking of a, a clay vessel, pottery, right? Why an earthen vessel? I mean, in context, Paul is trying to tell the Corinthians, he says, listen, everything that we do is for you to give you the gospel, to tell you about the light that God has placed inside of you. And we realize that we have this light, he's speaking of the gospel message, in an earthen vessel. And then he goes on and talks about how difficult life can be in this body. Why an earthen vessel? Why, why did God choose people, fallible man, in earthen vessels? I want to consider four specific characteristics of an earthen vessel to help give an understanding as to why I think the Lord, by the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, through the Apostle Paul, writes that we have this light in earthen vessels. The first thing that I notice of earthen vessels is, is that they're made of dirt. They are down to earth. So the first key understanding of an earthen vessel is that it's relatable. When you think of someone who's down to earth, do you think of, of I don't want to get political, but do you think of a politician sitting up high in his office who never comes down to the lowly people? Is that who you think of when you think of down-to-earth? No. At least I don't. No, an earthen vessel is relatable. 
Look at 1 Corinthians 9. Paul says, For though I be free from all men, yet I have, have I made myself the servant unto all, that I might gain the more. He said, I, may, I am made all things to all men, that by all means I might win some. Right? He becomes the servant of all. To the Jews, he became a Jew. To the Greek, he became a Greek. He, he, he is relatable. Our Lord Jesus Christ was relatable. Jesus made himself relatable so that he could reach the lost. In fact, so relatable that they accused him of being a sinner because he eats with sinners. When's the last time you had an outdoor barbecue with your neighbors who want nothing to do with God? How relatable are you to them? Philippians 2.7 says that Jesus made himself of no reputation. He took upon him the form of a servant. He was made in the likeness of men. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. That, that word dwelt is... Really, if, if we were to be using the Hebrew instead of the Greek there, it means tabernacled. He pitched his tent among us. I don't know if you have any homeless camps or people living in tents. But when's the last time you were relatable to them? See, an earthen vessel is relatable. It, it goes to where the lost are. See, Jesus talked with us. He walked with us. He loved us. Second thing that I see about earthen vessels, they're humble, aren't they? I mean, look at this. This is, this is just a humble cup. It's not ornate. There's two points to this. First and foremost, an earthen vessel is to be humble. <coughs> Because an earthen vessel that's humble keeps the focus on the contents, not on themselves. Luke 7, 28, Jesus said of John the Baptist, I'm going to use him as our example. Jesus said that among those who are born of women, there's not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. I think about that. Every single prophet named in this book save Christ alone every single prophet Jesus says all those born among women that's everyone how many people were born of a woman all right the, just making sure some of you are still asleep John the Baptist was the greatest of all greatest of all prophets he doesn't have his own book does he Prophet Isaiah, 60 plus chapters, right? Jeremiah, How about, has all these others, lots of different writings. Now I understand it's for a reason. John the Baptist doesn't have his own book, does he? In fact, very little is really said of him. And yet he's the greatest prophet. But what did John the Baptist say of himself? He said, he it is who cometh after me, that's Jesus, is preferred before me. He said, the focus isn't on me. I'm not even worthy to unloose his sandal. 
In fact, John, the disciple, speaking of John the Baptist, said that, hey, there's a light that's come into the world. John the Baptist, he's not the light. His job is only to be a witness of the light. And so, too, we need to be humble vessels, not ornate vessels. Let me give you the second point. You see, an ornate vessel gets left on the shelf to collect dust. You ever think about that? Hey, when I was married years ago, at, at, at the wedding, we received gifts. I want to be mean, but we got a few different pieces of Mikasa crystal. And they're beautiful. They're very ornate. I mean, just gorgeous patterns and these incredible, flowery, beautiful bowls made out of Mikasa crystal. You know what they did? They sat on a shelf. They never got used. They were so pretty, they were useless. You see, an ornate vessel sits on the shelf. Why? Because it's all about the vessel. You didn't want to put anything in it. I wasn't taking the gravy, right? Got some bacon grease gravy and, you know, Stick that in the Mikasa crystal. Oh, no, that couldn't go in there. I mean, you even felt like you couldn't buy M&Ms. You had to go buy some special chocolates. So it never got used. Let me tell you something. When we put the focus on ourselves, God says, I'll put you on a shelf. I, think about it. If it's all about you then why would God use you? Because it's not supposed to be about you. It's supposed to be about the contents that are within the earthen vessel. You know, if you want to question why God maybe isn't using you, maybe check your pride. Are you an ornate vessel or are you a humble vessel? 1 Peter 5 says, yea, all of you be subject one to another. There is that servant thing again. Oh boy, it just comes back around, doesn't it? Be subject one to another. Be clothed with humility, for God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. You see, there is coming a day when you will be ornate. Just not right now. There is coming a day when you will be exalted. But first, we're to be humble. Just simple, humble servants. With that, another thing that I see, a third thing, is that a, an earthen vessel is moldable. I mean, think about this. Things that are unshapeable or unmoldable are not useful in the hands of their creator. I have a challenge for you. If you look at this building, you look at any building, how many people have built something in life? <clears throat> house, put something together, even if it's a Lego set, work with me here. Let me ask you something. I want you to look around. Think back on all those things that have been built. Do me a favor and name one material that wasn't at one point moldable. Wasn't shapeable. Give me one building material that wasn't moldable and shapeable.
can't, can you? That's because every single bit of building material at some point was moldable and shapeable. The steel frame in that building was forged. It was molded, shaped, and forged into the beam that holds up the rest of the building. The stonework was chiseled. The concrete work, as hard as it is now, flowed like water. The wood shaped, sanded, constructed. What am I saying? Only moldable materials are genuinely useful to a builder. Christians who refuse to be moldable are useless in building the kingdom of God. And there's a caveat to this. Not only do we remain moldable, but we also must be willing to go through the fire that sets us and keeps us as the vessel fit for the master's use. Think about it. You, you, you cast a clay pot or you throw pottery. It now has to go through the kiln to hold its shape, to be useful and remain useful. You see, the trials and tribulations that we face do more to develop our usefulness and preserve our godly character than anything else. So often Christians think, well, I'm moldable, I'm usable by God, but don't put me through that trial. Don't put me through that fire. I don't want to go through that. Well, then you're going to remain this lump that slowly loses its shape. 1 Peter again, beloved, think, not, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. Are you allowing God to mold you and use you? Are you, are you willing to go through those fiery trials that he might preserve your shape as a useful vessel? I do have a sub-point here, and I won't take up too much time before I get to the fourth one. The second part to this, the subpoint, is actually to the unbeliever. Take no offense at the preaching of the gospel message. I make no assumptions. I don't know you. I don't know your heart. I don't know if you have realized your need of a Savior and repented of your sins and trusted alone in Jesus Christ or not. And so I preach the gospel. You see, Romans 2.5, Paul is addressing those who neglect God's offer of salvation by remaining impenitent, means unrepentant. He says, but after thy hardness and impenitent heart, treasurest up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. You see, those who harden their hearts to the gospel message those who, as God would say of the, the Jewish nation that rejected the Messiah, you stiff-necked people. You do always resist the Holy Ghost. Those who resist God's calling, that calling that he, he calleth upon all men everywhere to repent, 
They harden their hearts. They don't want to be moldable. They don't want their life to be changed. They treasure us up wrath. The wrath of God against the day of wrath. Because you see, there is coming a day when you, sir, when you, ma'am, will stand before Almighty God and you will give an account of everything you ever thought, said, or did. And you will realize on that day all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And if you never took the time to let the gospel message sink in, and if you never broke down that stony wall of your heart, and you never repented of your sins and trusted alone in Jesus Christ to the saving of your soul, then you will spend eternity in the lake of fire. Allow him to mold and make you into a new creature. Allow those old things to pass away. Behold, let all things become new. Make today the day of your salvation. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shall believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Don't walk out that door. Don't do that. You don't know how long you have, for it is appointed unto men once to die, then after this the judgment. You can get hit by a car walking across the street because you're an earthen vessel. And the fourth point about an earthen vessel is it's weak. It's easily broken. So let's do a quick recap. An earthen vessel is relatable. <clears throat> An earthen vessel is humble. An earthen vessel is moldable. And an earthen vessel is weak. Let me reread verses 6 through 10, and then we'll demonstrate this by way of illustration. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, cast down but not destroyed, always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. Why is an earthen vessel easily broken? Well, I guess I could tell you 1 Corinthians 128b says, God has chosen the weak things of this world to confound the things which are mighty, right? Why is an earthen vessel weak? Well, for that purpose. And you say, yes, I get that, but why? Why would God use earthen vessels? I mean, surely there's got to be a better way. I mean, surely this clay pot can't be the end-all, beat-all, best way to get the glorious message of the gospel of Jesus Christ out to the world. I mean, it's, it's weak, right? It's easily broken, right? Why? Why would you do that, Lord? 
I just want you to think back on your life for a moment. You know you're weak. I don't have to explain it to you. Maybe it was a broken marriage. Maybe a broken friendship. Maybe you thought you had life all figured out. And you're going 100 miles an hour down the road. You knew that you were invincible. And in a moment, it's a broken car and a broken body. You're zipping around thinking, nothing can happen to me. pieces kind of fall off, don't they? It's not what it once was, was it? Not so invincible. A friendship you thought would never die, they don't want to talk to you anymore. Maybe it's a loved one, maybe it's a family member. As they grew up, they didn't want anything to do with you and your God, and you feel like life just has slipped. See, that's where God steps in. Isaiah 61 is a beautiful passage of God. The prophet Isaiah, speaking of the Messiah, said that he would come, that he would bind up the brokenhearted. In Luke's gospel, we read of that prophecy fulfilled. Jesus comes down after being tempted. He enters into the temple, as was his manner. A scroll is handed to him. And in it, he reads from Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, Luke 4, 18, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of our Lord. You see, God didn't just sit up there on his heavenly throne and look at our broken lives. He got to work. God became a man, the person, work, and ministry of Jesus Christ was wrought. God became flesh. He dwelt among us. He began to work on those who turned to him. He began to put together these pieces once again. He provided out of his word light. A gospel light. 
that all those who turn to him might be made whole once again. And then he did something even more amazing. He put it inside of us. Why did he use weak vessels? Because of the contents within them. Paul in verse 7 of our text says, We have this treasure in earthen vessels. that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. When Paul sought the Lord because he felt extremely broken because of the messenger of Satan that would buffet him in his flesh, he said, Lord, take this away. I, I can't handle this brokenness. This, this is hindering me, Lord. I would be so much better off if I was whole. It says, no, for my grace is sufficient for thee. You see, what we oftentimes fail to realize is that the contents you carry within you, the gospel light, shines brightest through the cracks in your life. What you have gone through is so that others can see God's grace upon you. Can you imagine if there were no cracks in this vessel? As, as my hands have put it back together, if there were no cracks, you would see no light. I understand. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Behold, right? Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Does that mean you have a perfect body right now here on earth? No. Paul calls it a corruptible body. It's a weak body. How many of you have scars? How many of you have physical, visible scars? How many of you have broken a bone? How many of you have pins in those bones that would set off a metal detector as you go through the airport, right? There's, there's evidence all across your body of the aging process. We don't live in a perfect body right now. But the grace of God is sufficient for you in your time of need. God, God didn't leave you in this state. He did this to you. And oftentimes we look at this body as if, well, what good is it? I could do so much better for you, Lord, if, if I could walk straight. I would do so much better for you, Lord, if I didn't limp. I'd do so much better for you, Lord, if I could remember names. I, I would do so much better for you, Lord, if I, I didn't have this ugly face up here that people are looking at as I'm trying to preach to them. I get it, okay? God says no. No. 
my gospel light shines through your cracks brightest. Because my grace is sufficient for thee. Because it's not about you, it's about me. Because my strength is made perfect in your weakness. And then Paul goes on and says, you know what, no matter how hard it gets, we're troubled on every side. <laughs> Yet I'm not distressed. You know what, we're perplexed. Not quite sure why things are going the way they are, but guess what, I'm, I'm not in despair. I'm persecuted. But not forsaken. Cast down like this pot, I feel like, you know, when, when Paul got drug out of the city and stoned and left for dead outside of the city, I'd call that a pretty broken body, amen? And what did he do? He got back up and he ran away from him, right? No, he went right back into the city and kept preaching the gospel message. You see, he was cast down, but he wasn't destroyed. What were they going to do to him? Send him to heaven sooner? Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, so that, right, that the life of Jesus might be manifest in our body. We bear the marks of death upon us. We understand that one day we will die. It's inevitable, for it is appointed unto men once to die. We will die. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, right? It's by sin that death entered the world, and death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. But we also realize that when we trust alone in Jesus Christ to the saving of our soul, that the life of Christ is also made manifest in our body. Paul is confident that nothing can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's Romans 8, 38 through 39. In 1 John, John says it this way, Ye are of God, little children, and greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. That's the glorious light of the gospel message. God didn't leave you on your own. He sent the comforter into your lives. He sealed you by his Holy Spirit until the day of redemption. So let me do a final recap, and I'll close this way. You see, God chose earthen vessels because they're relatable. Are you relatable? Do, do people approach you? Are you down to earth? Are you becoming all things to all men that you might win a few? Second, humble. Is the, is the prettiness of your life about you? Are you trying to decorate and dress up this body? I'm not talking about, or, I, we're not going to go into what you dress like or apparel or jewelry. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about how you act in life. Are you humble or are you ornate? Is it all about what you look like and how good you are and how good you look like or is it all about God? Right? Because an earthen vessel is humble. It's not ornate. Are you moldable? Are you allowing God to shape you and use you as he sees fit? And are you willing to go through those fiery trials so that he can preserve your good, moral, Christian character as a witness to others? And we all know we're weak. So let me ask you this. In your weakness, 
Are, are you trying to dress it up? Are you trying to, hey, nothing's ever wrong with me. You don't see any cracks. I've got life all figured out. You know what Galatians says? It says to bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. You realize that if you don't share your burdens, I can't bear your burden. And if you don't share and I can't bear, or if you do share and then I'm too high-minded to even care, so therefore I don't want to bear your burden, neither one of us fulfills the law of Christ. And his law is that we ought to love one another. He gave us this commandment that we are to love one another. Simply put, if I don't share my burdens and you don't bear them, or if you don't share your burdens and I don't bear them, we don't love each other. And if we don't love each other, women, we really don't love God, do we? So are you hiding those cracks, acting like nothing's wrong? You've got it all figured out? You're a Lone Ranger Christian. Or do you realize that those cracks are a testimony of God's grace? Last time I checked, God made sure good and well to ensure that not one person in this book was presented in a light of perfectness, except for his son. Even Job, as righteous as he is, at the end of the book of Job, he says, I repent. I abhor myself. I repent in dust and ashes. He says, I thought I knew. Oh, was I woefully wrong. Not one person in this book is perfect. And we read about the fractured lives within it, and then we look at ourselves as if, <laughs> okay, that's a good story. Now, I'm not telling you to go spill your life story to everyone around you. Use some discretion. But confide in someone if you're struggling if you're hurting, maybe it's your friendship with someone, maybe it's your marriage, maybe it's your walk with God, maybe you're not reading like you should or praying like you should, or maybe it's how you lead your family, maybe it's how you obey your parents. Maybe you need help in some way, maybe it's your job. Whatever it is, realize that we are supposed to be here for one another, and the only way that God is going to get the glory through that circumstance of your broken life is if you are willing to let his light shine through it. Paul goes on to say this, in the rest of our passage here today, I won't read it all, you can read it yourselves, <clears throat> he kind of goes on to say, or summarize in a sense, that through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we're guaranteed of a better tomorrow. That we have the hope of eternal life through the resurrection of a living Savior. And that because of this hope of eternal life and because of the opportunity to preach the gospel to others and share in that eternity with all of them who believe, despite how difficult life can be, he gets to verse 17. And he says, for our light affliction. <laughs> light affliction. Paul's speaking about all the trials, tribulations, and things that he's gone through. Because being stoned and left for dead is a light affliction. 
because being beaten with rods and, and whipped numerous times is a light affliction. Because being shipwrecked is a light affliction. Because being hungry and naked and afraid and not sure where your next meal is coming from is a light affliction. Because of being in bondage and in jail, being mocked and laughed to scorn, that's, that's a light affliction, but Paul says it's a light affliction. Because that which is but for a moment worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. He goes on to say the same thing in Romans 8, for I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Let, let me give you that in layman's terms. Dear Saint, you are more beautiful for having been broken. And God will reveal it when you enter into his everlasting joy. You see, when you trust Christ to the saving of your soul, he picks you up. He puts back together the broken pieces of your life. And in the end, you will be more beautiful for having been broken in this life. Because you didn't harden your heart when the Savior called. Because you didn't harden and stiff-arm the Lord. You didn't harden yourself and stiff-arm the Lord when he asked you to go and do this thing or do that thing or to preach to your neighbor or to shine forth his glorious light. You are the purchased possession of God. You are a vessel, meet for the master's use and prepared for every good work. You are more beautiful for having been broken. Let his light shine through the cracks of your life. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, come before you humbled the opportunity to preach your word. Lord, oftentimes there are so many words that we think, so many words that we are capable of speaking, and yet none of them, none of them ultimately do justice to the words of life that you have given us. Lord Jesus, as you used common day items around you and illustrations, I ask, Father, that you would bless this message in the ears of those who have heard it, in the hearts of them who have received it. Pray that these simple illustrations would continue to light their path and speak to them throughout this day, but Father, may it not be a replacement for the truth of your word. So I pray that you would please do a great and mighty work as they dig into the scriptures, as they seek you. May you be known to them. 
as they follow you. May they be led of you. Lord, I pray that you would give them comfort and peace today as they consider the great work that you have done in their lives. Lord, for those who have placed their trust in Jesus Christ for the saving of their souls, may they realize that you have knit them back together. You have healed their brokenness. And one day, Father, when we loose off the pains of this mortal body, one day we will put on immortality. We will be blessed with a perfect body. As we join you in your home in heaven. I ask, Father, that you would bless the time that we have remaining, and I ask that you would be with these dear saints, encourage and strengthen them throughout this day. I do ask, Father, if there be anyone here who has not yet repented of their sins and trusted alone in you to the saving of their soul as they have heard the gospel message of what you have done for sinners in that you paid our debt the price that we could not pay, that your body was broken for us, your blood was shed for the remission of our sins, that if we would but turn to you and trust alone in you, that we would be saved from eternal suffering in the lake of fire. I pray that if there is anyone who does not yet know you as Lord and Savior, Father, please, may they come see me after service. And may they make today the day of their salvation. Watch over us now as we go our separate ways. Keep us safe and help us to live for you as long as we have along this earth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for your marvelous attention. It is a blessing to be here again. I kept you just a little longer than I wanted to, but... Uh, I pray you have a blessed week, that you go in the grace of God, and that you are fed and nourished by his word as you seek him. In Jesus' name, I pray all these things upon you. You are dismissed. <laughs>